Thank you for coming, sir. I, I guess I wanted to talk about my own child who's in an after-school program. Junked. Uh, okay, great. Uh, it's just I work two jobs for minimum wage. Minimum wage, gone. Gone. Okay, perfect. Uh, it's just we can't afford a new house because my mortgage is underwater. We're getting rid of that. We're getting rid of it. Oh, my mortgage? No, your house. Junked. Okay, and we can't even drink our own water because there's lead in it. No, we're going to keep that, though. We're going to keep that. Okay, so we cool. You still love Trump, right? We still love Trump? Uh, you're my president. Uh, God, you're blowing my mind, okay? Keep eating that finger chili. I think I hear my helicopter right now. Remember that I'm one of you. Remember I'm one of you. And live from New York, it's Saturday night. Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 42, Episode 17 of Saturday Night Live with host Louis C.K. and musical guest The Chainsmokers. I'm John Murray and joining me this week is Steve Finn. Steve is the host of Transparency on CHMR 93.5 FM in St. John's, Newfoundland. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at Transparency CHMR. And you can connect with us at snlafterparty.fm. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. These reviews help us to get the word out and they're greatly appreciated. All right. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Louis C.K. So, SNL has officially released the final run for the season. We get four more episodes leading up to a May 21st finale, is that right? May 20th finale. May 20th. Yeah, and you actually called it. When we were talking back on the Felicity Jones episode, you said your number one pick for a host for this season would be Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And I questioned whether 12 Fast, 12 Furious was a worthy enough vehicle to warrant him coming back to the top of the stack. But uh, apparently the show loves him. So that's a win for you. Oh, yeah. And even besides 15 Fast, 92 Furious, (laughs) (laughs) I think I read something about The Rock being the highest paid actor right now. Okay, so he's he's a big deal. <laughs> he's a big deal, like even outside of that franchise, which it, in itself is a big deal as well. Right, right, right. But yeah, I just felt like it was a organic choice to make because he's always been so awesome on the show. Plus, he's so bankable. So yep, it just made sense to me, and uh, I've been proven right, as it turns out. Yeah, no, it was a good call. The show obviously isn't shying away from bringing back ringers, um, recurring hosts that they know can deliver the goods, that are crowd favorites. We're getting Melissa McCarthy also in the, the back half here. And Louis C.K., this was, uh, I think, his fourth time hosting. So, yeah, uh, we have no shortage of kind of their go-to friends of the show caliber type hosts in the back half here. Uh, just to do a quick run through, next week we're getting Jimmy Fallon and his musical guest is Harry Styles. And then the final run of three, which is happening in May, is going to be Chris Pine, Melissa McCarthy, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We don't know musical guests yet for them, but... All of those are lining up to be really, really fun shows. So I'm excited. I I have a feeling they're really going to round out the season and go out on a high note. And I think that's fantastic. This season as a whole, I think, is really going to be one for the books. Absolutely. Now, there's a, a chance that Jimmy Fallon and his episode might be the last one if something comes out of this uh, writer strike that uh, is being talked about. Yeah, Actually, we had some feedback on that. Pretty in Pink was hoping that we'd talk about the writer strike. So just to put a bookend on that topic... These things happen. They happen 
every few years. <laughs> and uh, sometimes it actually does go to strike and it has happened where the strike is prolonged. So we can't rule it out. Like this is very much a, a real possibility that next week may be it for season 42. But the, the flip side of that is the show is going to be on hiatus for a few weeks after Jimmy Fallon. So if there is a strike, maybe they resolve it quickly and maybe things are uh, all settled before the show comes back and it doesn't interrupt their production schedule. There's really no way for us to know, but we can certainly just hope <laughs> that things play out well. Yeah. And that would be the best case scenario because part of me does want a strike to happen so that the WGA can get a a better deal. Sure. Overall. Yeah. And also we don't lose any SNL. Yeah. So if they can <laughs> get the strike over with within the hiatus, go for it. Sure. Hopefully it won't uh, be too big of a hit for SNL, but time will tell. Now, friend of the show, Colt Smetsvin had some feedback. Uh, Mr. Smetsvin. Yeah. He says, I'm going to do a dramatic reading here. Leslie, Leslie, Leslie. Did I totally jinx it when I said she had a great performance in the Olive Garden sketch? She totally ruined that ice cream parlor sketch tonight. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So from my dramatic reading, I think it's obvious that Colt Smetsman is very worked up and very passionate about this issue. Uh, what do you think? Did Leslie completely implode the show by flubbing her line there at the end of the, <laughs> at the end of the ice cream parlor sketch? Yeah. Colt is uh he's an emotional guy. <laughs> yes. As you can tell, he's got to dial back the drama a little bit. I think uh, he's being a little bit hyperbolic. Yeah. We'll just chalk it up to another example of what Leslie's weaker points are when it comes to what she can bring to the show. Her role in the sketch was really just to exit. She was coming in to round up the girls and, and get them out so that the sketch could end. So all of the meat, all of the funny stuff, all the things that I had already invested in were already done and over with. I'd already had fun with the sketch. So I don't feel like she in particular could ruin this one, but he does have a point and you know, we're, we're not shying away from it. We've had plenty to say about Leslie. She does usually have one, glaring flub per show. But if we look at how much more heavily the show has been utilizing her lately, there probably is an argument to be made that the ratio of flubs to screen time is probably improving. And if nothing else, that at least shows that she's, <laughs> she's doing her best and, you know, improving where she can. And to anyone out there that this is really a problem for, here's the solution. A little bit of bourbon. You put it on the table in front of you while you're watching SNL. Every time she flubs a line, you take a drink. It's that simple. Then Leslie's flubs go from being an annoyance to improving your overall enjoyment of the evening. And uh, I think that that's the real solution here. And I would encourage everybody to take up alcohol to solve most of life's problems. So, you know, with that said, I, I don't know where else we can, <laughs> where else we can really go with the, the whole Leslie issue. She does what she does. We love her for what she brings. And uh, she'll always be stand up first, sketch second. She'll always be stand up to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know why that came to mind. Sure. And that musical interlude will serve as a perfect segue into our episode recap. Let's talk about the cold open. The working folk of Boone County, Kentucky are struggling to continue to support Trump in the face of overwhelming mounting evidence that maybe Trump era policies are not actually bringing them the benefits that they were hoping for. Uh, very topical, very timely, and something that a lot of people are probably very passionate about. Did this work for you? Was this laugh out loud? Uh, more like a uh, sensible chuckle. Okay. <laughs> as opposed to laugh out loud. It's definitely 
a known stereotype of the the hillbilly or the hick, if I may use that term. We're not gaining any listeners in Kentucky this week, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just that stereotype that we're all familiar with. Simple folk. Simple folk. And and I'm not saying that 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 I believe in this, but uh, <laughs> these people tend to vote against their own interest. And uh, Trump is is showing that kind of on steroids right now. Okay. Where he's he's doing a lot in the interest of his his billionaire friends, and yet everybody who uh, supported him is doing mental gymnastics to justify his place in the White House. Mm-hmm. So to see this kind of lampooned to an extreme, where he's saying things like "I'm taking your house away, deal with it," and they're like, "Well, you're still my president." Right, right. I thought it was serviceable, not laugh out loud funny like he asked me, but enjoyable at least. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I didn't find it so much funny just because I felt it was a little uncomfortable. I I was almost just sympathizing with the people and feeling bad for maybe their real world counterpart, because I don't think that there's that much exaggeration on display in this cold open. I think that there are a lot of people that obviously, you know, their healthcare hanging in the balance, that's an issue for them or not being able to find decent employment. That's an issue for them. So there's a lot of people where these are probably very raw issues. And I just, I felt like I was thinking a little more about them than thinking about the comedy. So this didn't rouse me or really like get me jazzed for the show the way I would have been hoping when we see Alec Baldwin, we're hoping for big things. And I didn't feel it was really like a really great, fun, engaging way to use the Trump character. True. Yeah. It's been used better in the past. Yeah. I really like Trump when he is the marginalized little child that everybody is just managing and and shuffling off to the side so they can get, you know, the real work of the the country done. I like that version of Trump because that, that just seems more fun and more playful. And it just seems like the comedy is better in those kind of pieces. Whereas this is just, he's just a villain, plain and simple. There's, there's nothing redeeming about what's going on the screen. It's just harder to laugh at that, at least for me. True. Okay. Let's talk about Louis CK's monologue. He comes out in top form, as always, we, we always can depend on Louis for a great monologue. And tonight he's talking about his insights on chicken racism and white privilege. Chicken racism in particular is a very topical and touchy subject that's very polarizing in, in our society. So <laughs> did this work for you? Yeah, it definitely worked for me. Something that Louis does masterfully is he can throw out the most offensive jokes you've ever heard, mm-hmm. but in his presentation, he's sort of winking at you at the same time saying, don't worry, we're all in on this. I'm saying this for the sake of offensiveness. Yeah. But you know that it's just for comedy. Right. And the way that he delivers, it makes that very clear. So you, you feel a lot more comfortable laughing at something. Maybe you normally wouldn't with a less skilled comedian. Yep. There's definitely something about the way that he's able to unravel his jokes that take you on a ride where it's a little uncomfortable. And then he pushes a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. And he takes the audience kind of right to the edge of that line where they might feel like they need to check out or <laughs> no longer support yeah. uh, the performance. But then because he's got this goofy dopey charm where he's able to win you back and he can smirk at you and he can remind you that this is all in good fun because he's just got such a nice way of presenting all of this, that it wins you back. And as soon as he's rebuilt your trust and got you invested again, then he takes you again on that roller coaster ride and, and tries to push the line again. And uh, it's just so fun. It's so satisfying to walk down that road with him because he, he has a mischievous ability to want to to just mess with people and just see how far he can push their sensibilities. And, and I love it. Oh, totally. And it's always great seeing new material from Louis. 
there's been a lot of stand-up comedians that come on and just use their own material right, right. for the monologue, but it's material that you've seen in a special on TV somewhere. But this is totally original, hasn't been heard before, and he does this every time he comes on. Yep. And it's great because he just put out a special, too, with all new stuff. So if you're a Louis C.K. fan, you're getting an onslaught of new <laughs> Louis bits to uh, sink your teeth into. Yep. And I'm loving it personally. I was not loving the boom issues, however. It seemed like we were constantly yeah. getting a shadow cast over uh, Louis's shiny dome, and that was a little distracting. I, I feel like maybe they could have <laughs> could have done a little bit better with that, but that's a small quibble. Uh, gotta love Louis. This is great stand-up in a season that's been full of great stand-up. Totes. Okay, first sketch of the night. A lawyer's entrancing eyelashes turn the tide in a court case. What do you think? Did this have you laughing? Yeah, it had me laughing. Um, creeped out simultaneously with the laughter, of course. Mm-hmm. Did find it a little bit unsettling seeing Louis with that <laughs> kind of um, eyelash extensions on. But yeah, that's just me and my personal hangups. <laughs> not homophobic, not against, you know, trans issues or anything like that. It's not about that at all. Just weird seeing Louis dressed up that way. He does have like genuinely beautiful doughy eyes. On an otherwise awkward, middle-aged, pudgy exterior, yeah, <laughs> he has eyes that when you put these kind of dramatically long curled eyelashes on, it really brings them out. They really are pretty eyes. I, I, I kind of saw what the sketch was tapping into a little bit in that, yeah, you know, like when he flutters and gets all cutesy, like he has eyes that service that goof yeah and i was actually surprised that uh it didn't seem like as much of a stretch as you would have thought just because of louis countenance <laughs> yeah so, but let, let's let's not get too far off on, <laughs> on on that um just overall from a concept standpoint that everyone in the sketch is immediately won over by him and it's kind of like his superpower to be able to flip the script on this court case was that fun did you enjoy the kind of the narrative and how the the sketch was laid out Absolutely. Uh, especially Keenan. I think Keenan was really on point with his role as the judge. Mm-hmm. There's not much to get with this sketch. Once you've seen where it's going, it just goes in that direction till the end. Right. It is what it is. It was just a, a visual gag right, right, right. with enough dialogue to get it through a couple of minutes. Yeah. So it, it wasn't going for much, but it achieved what it went for. Yeah, perfectly serviceable, fun, and uh, it had me grinning. This was, I think, a, a good way to to set off the show. And they got some uh, product placement money out of it, too, so everybody wins. Yeah, I don't actually know if they did, because a lot of times the show, they'll use products, and they use it because it serves the sketch. Like, in this case, they needed a way to get out of the sketch, and it's fun to kind of goof on the, the maybe it's Maybelline line. Like, <laughs> there was comedic value in, in using that brand, so... They may have intended to use it anyways, and whether they were able to reach out to Maybelline and get a kickback, who knows? There's a lot of times when they didn't. Uh, One of the writers, I think, is on record saying that that Dunkin' Donuts sketch from the Casey Affleck episode, there was no product placement deal in place for that. It was just that was the right setting for the sketch, so that's what they went with. So there are times when they don't actually tack down a deal, Uh. but- who knows, you know, if they can get money, of course they're going to get money. And actually there was some new developments on their product placement and integration situation that came out over the break. We were talking about that Burger King sketch a while back, and we were convinced that that had to be the first of the sponsored pods that we were watching for in the season. But 
articles have come out in the trade publications that say that, no, that wasn't, they've actually reserved those pods for the, the back half of the season. So we can be watching for that, but I don't think we've seen any yet. Everything we've seen so far has just been regular old product placement, the way that they've been doing it for years. Gotcha. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's surprising, but it, it really is because that Burger King sketch seemed so, uh, sponsor serving that it seemed like that had to have been one of the pods. It didn't seem like there was any reason for that sketch to exist aside from being a vehicle to talk about Burger King. So I'd love to be a fly on the wall for some of these, these meetings and understand where the product integration and where the opportunities are coming from and, and really what's motivating some of these sketches. Cause it's really hard to know what the actual arrangement is for any given sketch that might have a product in it. But anyways, we'll be vigilant and see if we can tack down what the three pods are when, as we see them. Okay, moving on. We get our first pre-tape of the night. It's a music video, an aspiring anthem about how Scott's Facebook posts are saving the world. What did you think about Thank You, Scott? Reminds me of a conversation we had not too long ago uh, during that Susan B. Anthony sketch, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, set me on a bit of a rant about how <laughs> people feel like they're contributing by retweeting and sharing articles on Facebook and doing things that make a very small difference compared to what people could do. Sure. And the fact that they're able to do that gives them the sense of satisfaction <laughs> that they have done something. Right. So then in effect, they do not go out and do something that actually may be a little bit more productive. Right. So yeah, this is something that, you know, we've addressed before. So who knows, maybe they were listening to our podcast and got the idea from that. Well, I think that's obviously what happened. That is totally what happened. I can't see any other scenario where, where this sketch could come to life if they hadn't heard our commentary and been so moved by your passion that it motivated them to make a whole music video out of it. It's not like this is an obvious thing that anyone could latch onto because it's so ever present online or anything like that. No one has ever made this point before nope. in the history of man. So it's got to come from us. Exactly. Now, <laughs> <laughs> this is an obvious thing to goof on, and I'm so glad that this was the angle they took with it and that they found a really fun, sharp critique. Like they say in the song, you know, you read things on the internet and then you post them to the internet. Like <laughs> this echo chamber, this cycle of of just regurgitating all the inane things that, that flow through the internet. <laughs> I feel it was, I feel it was important for SNL to address. And uh, I think they did it flawlessly. I, I think that this was just the funniest, most wonderful presentation of this topic that they could have come up with. Yeah. And it was so tongue in cheek the way mm -hmm. that they like really ran with it. Yeah. Saying how much better he was in MLK <laughs> for doing right. this and that he literally solved racism. Like they go all <laughs> <Yes>. the way. <laughs> yep. This is smart. This was fun. And like you said, they ramped it up to 10 on the absurdity scale. At one point they have his toilet turn into this throne that just ascends on high. It was just great. It was just great. I loved it. Absolutely. I thought Mikey day breaking it down in the middle was kind of fun. That whole little bit where they're talking about the number of claps that Scott gives to each individual cause. Right. I thought that was really clever. And I thought Mikey day did a good job as the, the rap breaking it down guy in the middle of the song. I, I thought that that was fun and elevated it even more. Yeah. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I thought it was a good bit. Uh, I don't know if I agree with you on how great Mikey day was at it. Okay. I don't know. I just didn't buy him in that role. I don't feel like he <laughs> sold it. Okay. Yeah. It just was a little bit, not quite there for me. Okay. You heard it here first. Uh, Steve Finn has decided that Mikey needs to be ousted from the show because he's no longer performing at a level that, that oh, the yeah. show requires. Yeah. Cause that's, that's what I said. Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what I heard. Um, <laughs> 
so we'll leave it there. Uh, I think it's official. You hate Mikey Day, and uh, he needs to be ousted immediately. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> we get another live sketch. This time in 1953, Ohio, Louise, a high school girl, toys with the advances of Sam, the town pervert slash soda shop owner. <laughs> the town pervert. <laughs> Yeah, kind of a reminiscent of Jean Baptiste. Yeah, from uh, Louis C.K.'s previous monologue when he was last on the show. Mm-hmm. This seems to be the kind of immediately offensive type of taboo topic that Louis C.K. would gravitate towards. Like this, this would be a lot of fun for him. So I can understand why he would latch onto it when they're pitching ideas. Like why this would be something that he'd connect with and feel like he could make special. So it's a good fit for his type of show. <laughs> oh yeah. And he probably championed this sketch all the way to air. Yeah. I thought it was fun. I think it's, it was a clever premise to begin with that he's the town pervert, but they don't say that, right? Like he seems like just a genuinely nice, decent guy running the soda shop and they slowly let him uh, reveal kind of his, (laughs) his seedy nature. And they play it as though the girls are oblivious. So there's just a lot of fun where the audience is ahead of the girls in the sketch. And that's always nice. Cause you're like wondering if they're going to clue in when they're going to clue in at one point, Sashir does clue in like she knows <laughs> she's a little bit more street smart and world weary. Like she understands that. Yeah. This guy's not driving her home. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's not how this story ends. <laughs> so like the premise allowed them to unfold it in a very satisfying way. I thought, I also thought it was smart that they let the audience understand that, no, this is something the girls do like every week. They love to go in and toy with this pervert and they're all playing their parts for their own uh, sick satisfaction. That is just a really, really dark and weird (laughs) bent on a sketch that I lap that kind of stuff up. All right. Okay. Let's talk about our next pre-tape. A commercial director receives honest feedback about his inspiring Pepsi commercial concept. Now, before we talk about the sketch, did you actually see the Pepsi commercial that they're goofing on here? Yeah, I think everything that they were conveying in the sketch, that was definitely coming out in the commercial itself. Like someone, whoever came up with that idea thought it was much more profound <laughs> than it actually was. Yeah. And it was just like eye rolling cringe yeah. from start to finish. And it's so fascinating that it got greenlit and approved <laughs> on so many levels by so many people and made it to air and nobody ever said, you know what, this is actually complete garbage and potentially extremely offensive. Right. It's fascinating to me. Yep. And you're tapping into exactly what the show tapped into and what obviously most of the world tapped into when they saw that commercial, which is how did they not realize that that just was not going to play? Yeah. And Beck is really the key to all this working. Mm -hmm. Just the whole defeated politeness of listening to the criticism is where the humor is generated. <laughs> yeah. And the timing was just perfect. It's it's Beck. It's the editing. It's just uh, a really great ensemble of elements that are yep. working. Yep. It really came together to be very sharp and it makes the point very well. It's kind of neat that you don't hear the other side of the conversation because it lets the viewer impose all the things that they feel about the commercial. Whatever Beck is hearing is what you want to say to Beck or what the world collectively is saying to Pepsi. Yeah. So they just, <laughs> they were really, really able to present a very sharp critique of it in a short amount of time. And it was just the the right way to frame this kind of a critique. And I'm really, really happy when SNL sees something that's kind of like culturally, you know, it, it is the the moment of the week or whatever, when they're able to see that. And within a few days, they're able to find the right approach to critiquing it. 
rally all of the production resources to do something really cool with that critique and get it to air. I don't know if people understand just how astounding it is that this could even exist. If you go on a site like college humor, they're not turning around their sketches in less than a week. No, you know, they've got some great material on there, but they have months if they want to. It's just whenever an idea happens, someone can latch onto it and try and produce it. And it comes out whenever it comes out, there's no production constraint, but the fact that these kind of things exist so quickly after this moment happens, that's amazing. And that really is SNL's gift in a lot of ways when they can do that. And uh, this, this was a lot of fun. Agreed. What'd you think about the chain smokers? They performed Paris with Emily Warren, and then they performed break up every night. Did this enrapture you? Were you entranced by the chain smokers? Well, to quote Larry David, Okay, that's a, that's a very succinct critique. Do you want to uh, build on that idea at all? (laughs) Mm, uh, (laughs) I don't know. It was not bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. These guys obviously have talent, Buddy can sing. All right. I'm not going to bother to learn their names. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're okay. Uh, I have trouble connecting with this type of music. I see the the guy singing and I see a guy dealing with what's essentially a bunch of play buttons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Samples. He's just pressing play on samples uh, in, in the correct timing. So it's not what I go out and look for in music, but Hey, it's not like I was hating it. Like when we watched Gwen Stefani do whatever the hell that was. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. It's, that's all I've got to say about it. All right. All right. All right. We'll, we'll let you off the hook here. That was more than enough from you on the chain smokers. They seem like perfectly nice boys, you know, clean cut, pleasant, smiling. I have nothing against them as people, but this isn't something that I was caught up in. The most interesting things that were going on on the stage were all in the background. It was a large sound and that's a credit mainly to the guy playing keyboards in the back and the drummer like they're the ones fleshing out this large sound and then you've got the most boring thing you can put up on a stage like you said which is a guy just henpecking samples on a keyboard every time there's a chord change that just isn't really that fun to watch so not much that i could really invest in but hey uh, i guess the kiddies are liking it yes and uh, (laughs) you gotta throw a bone to the kids once in a while yep let's talk weekend update we get our Typical opening run of politically oriented Trump stuff. Anything memorable or exciting? Anything that really caught your eye about Jostin Che's opening salvo? There was a couple of good jokes, observations, etc. Mm-hmm. I know I'll never look at Steven Seagal again. <laughs> I can't look at him, period. Like he's turned into such a bloaty, weird mess of a person just in general that <laughs> he was already kind of disturbing. But now that you see genetically what could have come together to create such a monstrosity, it's even, <laughs> it's even a little more disturbing. Uh, yeah, that was a fun little sight gag. I, I enjoyed that. Generally speaking, though, performance wise, were Jostin Che on tonight or what did you feel? Was there good energy to this? Yeah, it's up there. It's not the crowning best weekend update of the season or anything, Mm -hmm. but definitely not the worst either. Yep. I felt like they were pretty sharp when it came to their asides, their little ad libs, which has become just as enjoyable as the jokes themselves sometimes. Yep. Colin buying pot was a really good bit. (laughs) Yeah. Really played into the, the characters that they've developed, the personas and how they bounce those personas off each other. Yep. I just love the consistency they bring to that rapport. Yep, they've they have found their characters. Yeah, this was fun. 
this was fun. I felt like it was a little fumbly, not excessively so, but it's not like their delivery was pristine across the board. There was a few little moments where uh, things kind of, you know, they tripped over the words a little bit, but that's pretty much what we expect. I didn't feel it was groundbreaking, but it was very serviceable. Uh, we get our first guest to the desk. Kate McKinnon comes out as Cecilia Manez, and she's talking about that botched statue of Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, the Portuguese soccer player. We've seen her before, and we understand her shtick is that, you know, she is maybe the worst artist in the world commenting on <laughs> the worst art in the world. So this was obviously a, a good opportunity to resurrect this character and, and get her out for another run. Did you want to see this character? Do you feel like the vehicle was sufficient for Kate? And did Kate, you know, do it justice? Yes. And this is the character that made me fall in love with Kate. Okay. It's one of her first bits she ever did on the show. Showed me that she's going to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, she definitely came through on that promise. What I love about this character is that they provide an explanation as to why she paints such disturbing <laughs> depictions of, you know, religious prophets. Right. This is actually how she sees the world. And that's why she paints things the way she does. So, yeah, she's going to defend this weird looking statue. Because it's just normal to her. Yeah. She just loves the idea of, you know, the guy's eyes being in love with each other and wanting to get together. Like some little teenage lesbians at a sleepover party. Yeah. Like, of course, you're going to get laughs out of defending the indefensible. Right. With Kate's uh, masterful commitment and performance, it's a great equation for uh, a solid character. Yeah. The nice thing about Kate's characters is she has thrown out any pretense of trying to do really, really accurate, spot on serious impersonations of people. She wants to just come out and get a laugh anywhere that she can find one. So she's going to be like affectionate with Colin. Like she's going to caress his arm and like try and like needle him a little bit just to see if she can get a smirk out of him because the audience is going to love that. Like Kate McKinnon's mind is so hardwired towards finding jokes at every turn. And she's so sharp and so quick at doing that. It really doesn't matter who she comes out as. She's just going to infect the audience with the giggles. And uh, it's just neat to see how powerful she is <laughs> in this kind of a scenario. And uh, yeah, she makes it work. Moving on. Back half a weekend update. We get another run of jokes. Anything to mention about the back half? Someone in the audience was really jazzed about the mention of a manatee. Yeah. <laughs> that was another great ad lib from Jost about that. Yeah. It was nice that he acknowledged it and then wove it into the joke. It's more fun now that the joke uh, obviously means something more than it should to the person in the audience. If that person is a manatee lover and then you throw up a graphic of a manatee as a hamburger. <laughs> yeah. You've taken what could have been a lackluster joke and you've made it way better. Like it's way more fun for the audience now because they've had that little interchange leading into it. And uh, yeah, that definitely was the funnest moment of the, the back half of weekend update. As far as I was concerned, just because Joe's was able to play with it a little bit. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Overall. I thought this was a very serviceable weekend update, nothing groundbreaking, but it was solid and appropriate. And it gets us into the back half. The first sketch after update is the O'Reilly factor. And surprisingly we get Alec Baldwin back. This time he's playing Bill O'Reilly. The, the goof here is that because Bill O'Reilly has alienated all the women on his staff, he has to basically conduct his show without their support. Topical, relevant. Did you think it was funny? I was having a laugh. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. The hair and makeup department was really on point with 
making him look exactly like Bill O'Reilly. All I had to do was squint a little bit and I would have mm-hmm. thought that it was actually him making a cameo. Yeah. I don't know why he would. <laughs> it was almost too easy to go after Bill O'Reilly this week with the hush money that's been thrown around over at CNN. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fox News. Fox News. Or, yeah. CNN, you know, has a sterling reputation as a, a journalistic outlet that has 100% <laughs> integrity. So we don't want to drag their name through the mud. Yes, yes. My apologies. Yep. But yeah, Alec did a good job and um, it was, uh, you know, a bit of a risk to throw in some pre-tape bits to interact with. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't always know if you're going to get the timing right. Yep. But it seemed to work out just fine. Yeah, I felt it was good. I'm glad that it was very quick and uh, that they found a clever way to use Bill O'Reilly's own character, like his real life persona of being arrogant and spinning everything. It was nice to be able to take that and ramp it up even a bit more to draw attention to it. I thought that that was really kind of sharp. I felt Alec Baldwin's impression was really good. Vocally, you're still hearing a lot of Alec. It didn't really sound like Bill O'Reilly so much, but he captured a lot of his persona and his mannerisms and and his smirk and the way that he holds his head. There was a lot of performance there that I thought was really sharp from Alec, especially considering that he didn't have that long to try and rein in this impression. So yeah, I thought that was really good. The essence was there. Yeah, it definitely was. Definitely was. Uh, moving on. We get another pre-tape. <laughs> Dodo the birthday clown performs for Ernie, an unusual birthday boy. Bobby's the clown, Louis, Ernie. And uh, this this one gets a little dark. Did we like this? Was this a fun, fun romp? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we, I think we both enjoyed this. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people did. This is one of the shining gems of this outing of SNL. Across the board, it's a win. Mm-hmm. You know, the performances, the whole concept, every bit of dialogue really landed. Yeah. And it just killed. Yeah. It was really really good. And yeah, a high point for the night, uh, a night that has a lot of high points. This still was even a cut above Bobby's performance. Absolutely perfect. He understood how to not overplay that character. Yeah. And I love how, you know, Ernie, he, he wasn't enthusiastic, but he, he was <laughs> letting on that he was enjoying the show. Yeah. He's like, Oh, that's yeah, that's good. How they figured out that that would be the funniest way to frame that character, I don't know, but it worked so well. Yeah. You got two people in this situation. Neither one of them is content or happy, but they're both playing their parts. Yeah. And that was just, it was so good. That was so good. Yeah. And I love how uh, Bobby was immediately thrown off his game from the beginning (laughs) because he came in not realizing Ernie was Ernie. Right. So he already had his guard down talking sports. Right, he right. was already out of character in front of this guy. Yep. Then it turns out it's his entire audience. This one guy <laughs> makes up the entire crowd that he's going to perform for. So now he's got to like turn it on. Yeah. Yeah. With the, with the sock puppet. And then he comes out on the little tricycle and he's in character now, but the illusion's already broken. Like you said, like there's, there's no pretense between them. They both understand that this is a train wreck of a situation. <laughs> Oh, it's just, yeah. So uncomfortable. So fun. So fun. I loved it. Every beat too, like when he cracked open his beer, that was the perfect Mm -hmm. time for that. When he walked away while he was pulling out the the ribbon from his mouth. (laughs) You want me to keep doing this? The way he just slows down for a second. He's like, "Uh, what do I do? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was great. It was so great. Well, one thing a listener wrote in Charlie um, he mentioned that this is very close to a Tignatero short film called Clown Service. 
for people that don't know who Tig is, she's a comedian. I think she's LA based and she's had some adversity in the last several years that she's actually been able to channel into some very groundbreaking comedy. Um, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to you know, go too much into it, but if anyone wants to look up her stuff, they might be surprised and maybe a little challenged by some of her material. And that's not a bad thing either. So Tignatero, maybe go check that out. I'll have to myself actually. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about our next live sketch. Louis CK is an eccentric man extolling the majesty of the legendary sectional couch. Oh, it was, uh, for, I think it was absolutely brilliant. (laughs) I kind of agree, but I have no idea how to explain why I enjoyed it. So do you have a good beat on this? Like, do you know why you liked it? I liked it because it was so, it was just so absurd in the direction they took it. And it was uh, quite surprising Mm -hmm. the twists and turns that unfolded. (laughs) Yeah, I had fun with it. Like I said, I don't have a whole lot to say because it's hard to really peg what the quality is about this. That is fun to watch, but it really is just kind of the, the unscrutable nature of it. Like who is this guy? Why is he talking about sectionals and why does he love them so much? Like what is it? What is so damaged about this person that they're obsessing to this degree over sectionals? And then towards the end, when he starts to open up. Yeah. The, the backstory of, of why this place exists. Yeah. Yeah. He used to have a family. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's his damage, right? Like uh, he's this empty, broken shell of a man and he's filling the void in his soul with a, a deep abiding love of sectional <laughs> couches. Well, yeah. I mean, to view it from a serious standpoint, this is a man who lost everything he loved due to an addiction. Right. Yes. <laughs> That's the dark reveal that is really the last laugh of this um, sketch. That's not even a 10 to 1 sketch. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe we should uh, should get to that actual 10 to 1 sketch. Yeah. Let's talk about our 10 to 1 sketch. A student field trip peeks in on a historically accurate reenactment at a tenement museum. The The goof here is that the players are acting out dialogue that is accurate to the time period, which includes a lot of racially insensitive material for whatever reason, targeting Italians. I like a good joke at the expense of Italians from time to time. (laughs) Not that I don't love the Italians, those lovable hairy creatures. All right. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we are not winning any new listeners this week. We've alienated entire swaths of of society. Country by country. We're just crossing (laughs) off the list. Yeah, it was fun. It wasn't the smartest piece of the night, but really when it comes right down to it, because the breaking happened so early in this sketch, nobody's thinking about whether it holds up. They're just thinking about the fact that Louis couldn't keep his accent consistent and <laughs> Kate lost it. Louis lost it and they never quite recovered, right? They, they had the giggles right till the end. Yeah. And when Louis breaks, it's generally a lot more enjoyable mm-hmm. than it is with other hosts or cast members because he'll take a moment to laugh and like cover his face. Mm-hmm. He won't completely derail the sketch, but you can really see his comfort level when it comes to performing. And it just makes it all that more endearing that he owns (laughs) the fact that he can't hold it together. (laughs) He's a little bit over the top in how he composes himself. It's like when he breaks, there's a little bit of performance there too. him almost like shrugging and calling attention to how disappointed he is in his accent that is a little bit endearing in and of itself. Right. So yeah, the recovery when Louis breaks is as fun as if they just held it together. So yeah, the sketch was probably more fun because of it. Oh yes. 
leading into the good nights, they put up a bumper of Don Rickles who passed away. We don't need to go through his bio. Obviously he's a legend among legends. So, you know, people who are fans of that, I guess I'll call it like a, a vintage comedy, kind of like the, the tuxedo comedy, the roast comedy, the, the era of like the big comedy icons. He was among them. And uh, so I'm sure a lot of people are going to be feeling that loss. It's appropriate that the show acknowledge that he's obviously, you know, been on the show in the past too, in, in its earlier days. Right. All right. So that's our recap. Let's talk about moment of the night. You know what? I think my moment would be Bobby Moynihan accepting his fate. <laughs> Damn I you. Just, Damn you. You took it. Yeah, no, go. Sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Now I'm wondering what you were going to pick. Well, I, I was, that's exactly what I was going to pick. I thought, I thought that was fantastic, but I want to hear why it's your moment of the night. It just fit the, the mood of the whole sketch. Everybody was just accepting this situation because <laughs> there wasn't really much you could do about it. I mean, you were hired for a gig. It's what the, the client wants, so you got to perform. <laughs> so, you know, the fact that he's already let his guard down to that point, and he really does want to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yeah. But when he finally reveals his true intentions, you know, it's already too late in a sense. It's just the way that he accepts it is so funny and comical. Yep. At least he was able to save Melissa Villasenor. That's a... <laughs> You don't want this. Yeah, that was a, a courageous move. Yeah, absolutely. That sketch, I feel, had a lot of really great moments in it. And I was going to pick exactly the same one as you. So let's just uh, leave it at that. I don't think there's that much more to say about it. It just was really satisfying that, yes, at the end of all this, he's just resigned to the fact that he walked into it. He didn't pick up on any of the cues that should have sent him running earlier. And now, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yes. Such a dark dark thing but yeah i was laughing i thought it was great best overall sketch i think dodo the birthday clown gets my pick for sketch of the night i think that's fair and it gets mine as well mvp it's got to be louis Mm -hmm. when we uh talked about the richard Pryor episode we gave the mvp to richard Pryor because there was so much influence on the overall show because he was there. Right. There was a lot of stuff tailored to prior. Yeah. When it comes to Louis CK in this episode in particular, this one seemed to lean a bit further to meet Louis CK with his sensibilities mm-hmm. and give him more freedom to influence the show. Yep. So not only was he great as a performer, but like behind the scenes, you can see his, uh, his stamp on a lot of stuff here. Yeah, I agree. It seems like, and you touched on it, and I I think you're absolutely right, that at this point, Louis understands the show and the show understands Louis. They both kind of understand how to bring out the best in each other. And so when he shows up, it just seems like he knows what he wants to bring to the table and he knows how to make his mark on what's given to him. Right. So I'm giving it to Louis too. Now, on a scale of classic, great, typical, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? Okay. Maybe I should say, first of all, <laughs> okay. Uh, I think we got a little bit of flack for giving classic to the Scarlett Johansson episode. We actually got a lot of flack. I didn't know we had so many passionate listeners until we handed out a double classic to ScarJo. I'm standing by it personally. I, I, I still had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And I'm standing by it too. I'll tell you now, if it were up to me, if I want to go back and rewatch any episodes from this season, 
I'd probably pick this Louis episode over Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. That's the one I would enjoy more. But I'm giving this Louis episode a great. I don't think it uh, deserves classic because it's not. It is not an example of everything we've come to love about this season, like the Scarlett Johansson episode was. Right. But I hope my explanation uh, is enough to let you know why I'm picking great. Yeah. No. No. It's uh, it's worth revisiting the Scarlett Johansson episode a little bit because these are both very different episodes. And one thing that we need to clarify about these ratings is a show doesn't always have to be classic or great or typical or weak for the same reasons. You know, we don't have a, like a scorecard where we're giving precise numbers to each element of the show. And, you know, this isn't something that we're like quantifying and really trying to like nail accurately as like professional critics might. Right. It's very subjective. What we're trying to do is sum up our feeling of watching the show and how much it kind of like moved the needle for us. And how impressed we were with it for any given reason. The reason why I thought the Scarlett Johansson episode was so strong was because I felt like it was a demonstration of a really solid, consistent live show. And I thought that Scarlett Johansson grounded that because she's a good host that they know they can lean on heavily in those sketches. They were able to have a bit more freedom to do some good sketch work, some really fun, goofy physical stuff that they might rein in a bit more if they had a more limited host. So I felt it was a good example of SNL kind of firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Now, the Louis episode, I feel like this was an episode just tailor-made for me. This spoke to me in so many ways that the Scarlett Johansson episode was more lightweight. Uh, the Scarlett Johansson episode had some you know, funny slapstick, and it had you know, a lot of goofy elements to it, whereas this one went dark, and it touched on social taboos, and it had you know, some Louis stand-up that was really fantastic, and some really bizarre, awkward, cringy things where it's the show like playing with you and trying to challenge you a bit. And so this was a very deeply satisfying episode for me for completely different reasons than Scarlett Johansson's episode was. I'm giving it a classic. Woo. Yeah. (laughs) If we're going to get really kind of like finicky about the rating, I consider this to be the more important and the more special episode of the two, but I will hold to the idea that I think that the Scarlett Johansson episode is an example of a really good, solid episode of SNL that I would expect to see at 10 o'clock at some point down the road. And this one as well. I feel like they're both candidates to really demonstrate the show when it's at its best. Alrighty. Okay. You got anything else to say? Ne'er a bit, my son. Okay. That's a cast. Thanks to my guest, Steve Finn. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at Transparency CHMR. If you'd like to support our podcast, please consider using and bookmarking our Amazon and other affiliate links found at snlafterparty.fm. It costs you absolutely nothing to use our affiliate links when shopping online, but it really helps us in covering our costs and is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Jimmy Fallon and musical guest Harry Styles. This has been episode number 19 of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. I just want to say Don Rickles was the funniest man in the world, and he was also a lovely, beautiful guy. I'll miss him for the rest of my life. And I want to thank the Chase <laughs> And I want to thank Alec Baldwin and the cast and Manatees, manatees. (laughs) You own one?
Manatees have recently been upgraded from endangered species to merely threatened. So for a limited time only, the McManatee is back. <laughs> <laughs> Go, gotcha. For Weekend Update, I'm Colin Joe. I'm Michael Chagla.